0: Welcome into a, another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry, and Kentucky lost another basketball game, Derek.
1: Yeah, another one that, um, honestly, Sean, I, th- I thought, trying to avoid any recency bias, but I, I honestly thought one of their worst losses of the year, just in terms of how they look. Now I know they, there have been some other uh, pretty ugly games this year, but I just thought with the Getting out-rebounded by 14 at Ole Miss, uh, not not shooting the ball well on offense, just scoring 62 points. And I know Ole Miss is a pretty strong defensive team. But uh, just all together, Sean, I really felt like it was probably one of the more demoralizing games that, that they've played this year.
0: Pathetic is is what i put it at. It's, it's pathetic. It's to the point that I want to punch myself in the face for even suggesting that this team – was going to go win the SEC tournament next week, Derek. This is uh, there's no other way of putting it. I tweeted last night that I I never thought I would ever see a Kentucky basketball team this bad. And you know we've we've tried to to be nice at times. We've tried to find a silver lining in it. We've talked about the future. We've we've talked about the improvement. And you thought at Tennessee that they had turned a corner. Not just Tennessee, but that way they had played the three games that, during that stretch. And then they they come out and they start hot against Florida last Saturday. But from about the 14 13 minute mark of the first half till the end of that game last night, it you could almost make a case that they were almost worse than what they were at certain points early in the season. That's how bad they played last night.
1: It, it, was... it was when a it comes to re-
0: rebounding, no Kentucky yeah. team gets dominated like that on the glass no Kentucky team does. 42
1: to 28. I need to pull up the stats from last night. I don't have them pulled up on my computer, but, uh, I do remember writing about it and yeah, it was, uh, not good. And I honestly feel like, man, Romello White for Ole Miss when he came in and absolutely bullied Sar on both ends. Yeah. That pretty much sent the message. I thought right away that, uh, they might be in for a little bit of trouble. Just the edge. I thought, you know, I just thought Ole Miss wanted it more. And, uh, Maybe it's understandable at this point in the season for Kentucky. I mean, like, what are they playing for? I get the whole aspect. But it was a a bad look. I'm pulling up the stats right now. And uh, there were some, in terms of narrative-driven things that we can talk about, there were some interesting things that happened. But, man, it was really just much of the same on offense. I mean, it's a terrible two-point shooting team. Absolutely awful. They go, what, 16 for 36 from two. And then three-point. I mean, they're not a good three-point shooting team either. They go five for 20 there. Um, I don't know. It's just crazy. They, they had, what, 16 assists and seven turnovers, and, yeah. and they lose the game. I and mean, it's not like they – all Miss turned over 17 times. It's not like UK didn't play a clean game in that regard. I mean, I, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but Sean, I guess, like seven turnovers is, is pretty low for this team. It is. I mean, that's not bad at all, especially against a team that forces well, a lot of turnovers.
0: Well, I texted you last, last night, and I said – they have seven turnovers and they're going to lose a basketball game. Yeah. Like, like what? Like that's the thing. Like when you look at this team, though, even when they do perform in areas where they've struggled, something else bites them. The free throw line. Somewhere they've been good. Oh yeah. Uh, for a stretch, and then they they fall apart there last night. Uh, John Calipari said it last night: the worst two point uh, shooting team in, in college basketball. There's no doubt that I mean this is not a good basketball team. And, and I said this, I think on our last episode that. Davion Mintz went from being a oh how cool would it be if he came back and added some depth to your roster. And now I'm to the point that if they don't go get Davion Mintz to come back, I don't know what they're gonna do. And and I had some people last night kind of push back in the replies on Twitter when I mentioned that and they said, So this is what the gold standard program has come to, you know, a grad transfer from Creighton having to come back to save the day. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm I'm not really scared of Mintz either. No, and it's not because that's – what did I, what did we say when this season started and they started off strong or they started off slow? We were talking about B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark, Olivier Sar. Those were the three guys that were kind of billed to be the leaders. That's who we thought they would be. Keon Brooks was in that mix, but he was hurt. What's the one thing that when you go back to the NIT team in 2013 that stands out? That is so similar to what's going on right now. Other outside of Isaiah Jackson. But going back to that team, Julius Mays ended up being one of their best players on that team. And that was a problem. What's happening now? Davion Mintz literally looks like their best player other than Isaiah Jackson.
1: I mean he played thirty seven minutes last night.
0: Yeah, like and on top of the
1: floor basically.
0: And on top of that, Jacob Toppin, somebody that we didn't even factor into this season. And this is no knock on Jacob Toppin. Like, Jacob Toppin has, has done everything to help this team this season. He's he's carving out a bigger role each and every week. You pointed out last night. You texted me yesterday. Said it's a big game for Toppin. He played, what, 14 minutes in the first half?
1: Finished with 31. Yeah, I mean. Off our season high. But we're, we're to played a, 25. Point a few other times.
0: We're to a point where we're talking about, like, guy that, the guys that were supposed to be number seven and a guy that wasn't even supposed to be playing as the guys that are carrying this team. I mean, it's it's easy to see why they're having issues. Corey Price put up the stats today, and B.J. Boston and Devin Askew, I think, are two of the worst shooters of the two of the is it two of the top three worst shooters in program history since the shot clock era began for a single season. Did you yeah, see Boston,
1: that? Yeah, Boston's So Boston's field goal percentage, I, I think, was a field goal or three point. No, it had to be. It, there's no way it's three points thirty five percent. So the it was, it was, uh, overall field goal percentage. Is at thirty five percent, which the next lowest was at thirty nine. I mean, my goodness, right? He went one for nine last night, one for six. I mean, he had had a nice little string there for a little bit, but then you have the
0: Florida. You have the Florida stats in front of you.
1: Uh, No, but I can pull them up.
0: So he was one of nine last night. Derek B J Boston was one of six from three. But if you go back to the Florida game, and he started off hot. If you remember, he hit a three, he hit another shot. And got off to a great start. I tweeted, I said, hell of a start for BJ Boston. Since I tweeted that, I think he maybe has shot like two of 15, uh-huh. if that. Because you can look at his stats from Florida and it wasn't a good shooting day. I mean,
1: Yeah, here we go. Um, yeah, well, you know, go back to the Florida game. I mean, it was kind of the same deal. Mintz carried him in that game. He had 21. Jackson had a pretty good game. Jackson just got stuck on the floor, man. I mean, he's just bounced too much. What he played 24 minutes last night. I mean, yeah. he's one of the true difference makers that they have. And uh, when when you're having a hard time staying on the floor like that, I mean, Kentucky's not going to have much of a chance. But yeah, going going back to that Florida game, he was three for ten, one for four from three. So what's that put him at two for two for his last ten? Yeah. Three?
0: And he hit the he hit the first two shots. Of, I think he hit his first two shot attempts of the game against Florida. So he was actually like one of eight the rest of the way. And then you throw in one of nine last night. So we're talking two of seventeen since his hot start against Florida. I'm,
1: worth pointing out, I think, um, you know, Keon had a really weird game against Florida where he just didn't really show up at all, but he bounced back last night, 16, points, eight boards. And, you know, that was, that was UK's leading rebounder. I mean, on a night that they really got pushed around and struggled to, to grab boards. I mean, look at, I mean, dude, look at Sar, 30 minutes, three rebounds. Yeah. It's not getting it done. And, um, you know, you think about a guy like Jacob Toppin, who was pretty much playing a lot of the, a lot on the wing last night. He comes down with five boards, and that's that's why he was in. I mean, he was rebounding and he and he played good defense. He they they really, especially against his zone. I don't think Toppin's really going to be set up to score very well. So that's not what you're looking for with him at least last night. But it's it's rough because it, and to me, Sean, it seemed like I never went back and watched it, but it seemed like there was a big emphasis. I mean, eventually against the zone, they were just getting it right there to the middle and letting Brooks take jumpers, which was a good strategy. I mean, he he made most of them. So I know people hate the long two, but if you're open and it's Brooks taking them and they're going in, I don't view it as a bad shot. But one of those deals last night where they really just couldn't throw it down to the block against that zone or Star couldn't. Couldn't operate well enough yeah. to really get any easy buckets, well, and that's that's kind of what made it tough. I thought.
0: And and what outside of their poor performance this season, what has been the one topic after every game? It, it's been John Calipari's post game comments, right? Like that's the thing that we've yeah. all picked apart and dissected. Well, last night Derek he said it, and it was I don't have an answer. They've lost 15 games. You know he mentioned you know in 35 years he's not experienced something like this. Like what do you say? to your team when you've lost 15 games. And it's not like that they've just been absolutely destroyed in these games. I mean, they're losing by single digits. But yeah. they're not good enough to win these games. They're, they're not better than these teams. They're not better than Ole Miss. They're, I mean, we, we see it. Like if this team is so limited that if you can take away the one thing that makes them comfortable, like they were scoring in transition during that stretch that they won basketball games. And now they're, they're not able to do those things. And last night, another example, fifteenth loss. So you're, they're guaranteed to finish with a losing record in SEC play for just the third time in program history, first time since nineteen eighty eight, nineteen eighty nine. I don't, I didn't see this coming. Even with their one and six start, I thought that they would at least get to ten, eleven, twelve SEC wins. I just, I just, just thought, okay, you know, they're gonna. They're going to get it figured out. They're going to win some games. They haven't. Like, we thought that they had turned the quarter, and they have reverted harder to the point that it would not shock me if they lose the first game of the SEC tournament next week.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially if they're they're playing Mississippi State, and I know this was a few months ago, but it took a a performance that has not been replicated. That's the way I'll phrase it. (laughs) From Dante Allen and uh, double overtime to, to just to come up with that win, which was different. They didn't have Keon back then. You know, there was different scenarios.
0: Um, go, go ahead. Well, speaking of Dante, what did he say last night? I like for I wanted him to shoot more. He played three minutes. Like what? Yeah. You know what I'm like? I'm saying like this is this whole Cal is mentally exhausted. He is, he yeah. he mentioned he says it all the time he doesn't have a magic wand. Well, if even if he did, he could wave it a thousand times, and I don't think it would solve the issues that this team has. Uh, you have a point guard who you have played all season long because you didn't have another option, and then come to find out you had another option, but you chose to fall on that sword for pretty much the full season. Davion Mintz had eight assists last night.
1: Yeah, and didn't, didn't Cal say that, that's, that Mintz wants to
0: be the point guard? Yeah, like I that's what I don't get. Like that, that was he's what confused been, me
1: the most. I assume that he was just, you know, out of the benefit of because of they thought it was better for the team. But if Mintz has been like and let's talk about this real quick and uh it's it's big tough because it's kind of speculation, but that last time out in the huddle, Mintz it looked, it looked to me and I need to go back and watch it I guess, but it looked to me like Mintz and Cal
0: were both on ask you. Is that the way it looked to you? That's what it looked like to me, yes. Like, I mean, Mintz looked so dejected
1: at the end of that game last night. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's reached his breaking point or what. But I do think Cal has reached his. I, I mean, Askew's unplayable.
0: Why did it take this? this why did it take this long? Though, is the I, question. Like, if did we really exhaust all options with Damian Mints point, point?
1: I don't know. I mean, I can't, I can't say Cal says he's in there every day. There's a few things I want to hit on here. I, I think is a pretty interesting post-game episode for us in a year where they've lost so many games. But first of all, I mean, this was two straight game. I know he's had other games where he really struggled, but this was two straight with Askew where it was just – it was bad, like unplayable bad. Yeah. And he's minus 17 last night. And I know plus minus, like, that can be – it can be a tricky stat because it doesn't always tell the truth. But last night – Listen, he's minus 17, but he's also, as, what, as soon as Mintz goes out at the time, Ole Miss goes on a seven on run. As soon as Askew is out in the first half, that's when UK makes its run. You know what I mean? Like, it's just. I feel, I actually feel bad at this point for Askew because everyone talks about him talks about how hard of a worker he is. He came here a year earlier than he had to, which was his choice. I mean, I don't, I mean, it, it is what it is. He made that decision. You got to live with it. Um, but I'm sure a kid who has worked as hard as he has and has really been a brunt of a lot of criticism, which rightfully so, I would say. I mean, in terms of on, on the court, any of the personal stuff is just too much. But in terms of his on-play performance, like you could say he's benefited immensely from Cal not really either believing he had no other point guard or kind of not wanting to utilize anyone until he absolutely felt like he had to. And maybe now with Toppin being a guy like Cal trusts a lot, certainly more so than Dante at this point. Like maybe you see more lineups that – I don't know. I mean, are they going to go to the point where they're playing, uh, you know, mids and – well, I guess BJ's out there. I was thinking for a minute, you know, he could – like did he say somewhere – I've seen this comment a few times but I never actually saw it. Did he say something about Toppin playing the two? Did you see Uh... anything
0: about that? I don't remember seeing that. Did he say? I that? I saw that
1: posted somewhere, whether on Twitter or on a message board. And I'm thinking, I don't remember if he said it. It might have been on his radio show, which I don't listen to after the game. But I don't think he said that in the in the post game. But you know, it's something interesting for Askew because perhaps this is a chance for Cal to utilize him in a way that might fit his role more next year if he chooses to come back. And that would be an off the ball. Being truthful, probably 15 to 20 minutes per game, if that, next year. Like, I'd be surprised if he's playing a whole lot more than that. Well, I don't think he's going to be totally relegated, but I also don't think he's going to be in a spot where nearly as much as that's for him. So maybe – I mean, here's the thing, Sean. They might only have two games left. Y- you know, I mean, after Saturday, you know, they might only have one game in the SEC tournament. So uh, –
0: And here's the thing with Devin Askew. you. And the whole reclassification thing. I've seen so many people like I'm tired of hearing the whole he reclassified thing. Like I'm I'm tired of it because he it, reclassified to his to be, original class.
1: Right. And didn't this used to be a program where by this time of the year the saying was always, well, these guys aren't freshmen anymore. Didn't yeah. used to do the thing?
0: And and on top of that, like I get it. COVID has been brutal for every everyone. I, I understand that. But I had someone reply to me, let's not just, you know, like this isn't fair to say that they're the worst team and all that stuff. You don't understand what these kids are going through and all that stuff. I get it. 110%. I had COVID. But on top of that, the thing that gets me is this, Derek. Yes, COVID cut their their season short, cut, or it cut their, their off season. They didn't get to have the normal summer. They didn't get to have the fans and all this stuff. But it doesn't change how poorly constructed this roster is. This was a poorly constructed roster from with, with COVID or without COVID at point guard. Yes. Now, had Terrence Clark been healthy? Maybe you could run him at the point. But we also know, I was able to read between the lines, that Terrence Clark did not want to play points. It was easy to tell by what he was liking on Twitter. I mean, you're not hiding that. When you're liking tweets of people saying stuff like, he, he's not a point guard, he wants to go, he needs to be playing this. Yeah, it's kind of coming back that you don't want to do that. So, I am I think that, honestly, I think a lot of people are ready for just the Band-Aid to be ripped off and to start moving towards next season. And I know that's something that you and I have talked about for months now. But I was factoring in Devin Askew being a big part of that. But I texted you last night and I told you that I just don't know how he fits in the program moving forward. I just don't know what his, what is his ceiling. You know, how, how much can he improve? Like, he – he either has to become a 40% three-point shooter, which I just don't know if it's going to happen. I mean, considering that he barely grazed the iron on two wide-open threes against Florida, I just don't know what his potential long-term is at Kentucky. I just don't. I don't know how he fits into what they're doing because the first, let's say Nolan Hickman comes in next year and is elite, and for Kentucky's sake, they need him to be. Devin Askew, I don't know what his. I don't know what his role is. And then you're talking about the next year let's say Scott Clark, let's say they get Jaden Bradley and, or, and these guys, what, what's Devin Askew's role then in the program? Yeah, I mean, it's – And I hate to say that, but I'm to the point – I texted you last night and I said he's going to be here his senior year, and I don't know what – I don't really know. Like He's going to have to improve significant amount. But for someone who's played as many minutes as he has this year, <clears throat> the issues that were there in November are still there now.
1: Yeah, no question about it. I mean, I think Askes to truly really become a a lockdown one, a lockdown defender, and then two, just a, a pure lights out shooter That's to just, overcome some of his other you know deficiencies that he has in his game. And uh, I mean, if he's willing to stay at UK and work at that, I think Cal will certainly give him a chance for next year's team. Um, back to Cal, I'm trying to. In terms of making, you know, kind of things out of what he said last night, like do you get the feeling that he maybe shifted the burden towards the players a lot more than – maybe he will take more ownership. Like I get it. During the season, I'm sure for him he's got to be careful with what he says. I think maybe after the season he'll take more ownership of – and acknowledge, you know. I think at some point Cal will acknowledge, hey, this was not a a good job on me. This was not a good job constructing this roster. But in the heat of it last night, right after a game, when emotions are higher than probably what they are, you know, today, a day after the game, I I felt like he was pushing off to saying, "Hey, I, I've been damn good for 35 years. I don't know he what's did. going on with these kids." So he he's saying, "Oh, you know, like they reverted. They we were right there, and he used he used they a lot more than we." And um, you know, I get it, like. I'm sure he's frustrated. I'm sure he's trying to coach this team a lot of the same ways as he has in the past, and it's always kind of turned out well for him, but it hasn't with this group. And I think so, it's big for Cal to, to evaluate some things in his own in his own coaching next year, whether it be philosophically, whether it be the way he motivates players. I mean, I just think a year later, and I know Jimmy Dykes was on that big spill last night where he talked for 20 minutes about UK's basketball program right during the middle of the game,
0: but – big spill every night it seems like you know we've we've had him on this podcast but i'm i'm almost just fed up with espn's coverage of college (laughs) basketball lord have mercy i'd rather i'd rather let Beezy and them call it you know from the 606 podcast
1: yeah no i mean you're totally right and um I, i i don't know if i'd call it disappointing i mean it's just at some point, if he doesn't acknowledge that, like, hey, I, I did a poor job building this roster. But, again, like, you, I, would you agree? Like, you can't say that stuff right now, though. You can't. Not, not during the season. Still.
0: You can't. And if you remember in 2013, what was the message he came out? I'll never be held hostage again. Yeah. yeah. You know, he said that. How? What? Did, what's his tone like in May and June going into next year? Uh, how does how do we look back and reflect on this team? And then another thing, too, Derek, they, they started turning the corner just enough that I think that they were still playing for this year. You know, Cal was talking that, you know, he owed it to these guys to try to win right now. What's happened to Lance Ware over the last half month to a month? Not playing at all. Dante Allen, not playing at all. So all those things that we were talking about about building to next year, they've stopped happening now. And now that I think that you're in a s you're at a point now where, you know, you're talking about Davion Mintz who we think will try to use that year. We don't know that for sure. Obviously, I think it could depend on how the this next week goes. I mean, you're talking about, you know, on the bench last night, uh some frustration. Does does he want to go through this again? I mean we don't know. Like we'll have to wait and see. But then we were talking about Devin Askew. Now the minutes are starting to go away for him last night. That was the I think that was the thing. I, I texted you at halftime, I said, I'm paying attention to Askew's minutes because he'd only played ten. And he didn't play much in the second half. What got to seventeen minutes, I believe? Yeah. For the game. So that's that was the thing that stood out last night as he went from playing thirty plus to playing seventeen. So that was that's easy to point out. Uh Jacob Toppin's minutes are going Way up, uh, Keon Brooks still playing. Obviously, we we still got to factor in Oscar Shubway, who is going to make a significant impact on next year's roster. But all those things that we were talking about in January about you know Lance Ware getting some significant minutes and you know contributing to the win at Mississippi State, playing against Missouri, he's not playing now, and you're you're kind of sitting here looking like. You no, know, all those minutes that we were talking about and experience, you, you've not got as many guys that are playing a role right now. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be very cautious about how I view this team moving forward. I know that I've talked that I think they'll be significantly better next year. I don't think it's possible to be as bad or even remotely as bad as what they've been this year, but I have my concerns. And my concern is if they don't get a guard that can beat somebody off the bounce, I still think that you could have another year next year where it's not Kentucky basketball caliber. I
1: was thinking about this yesterday. Um, you know, where they might be, how they might be viewed preseason. I think it's too early because there's going to be, you know, it isn't Kentucky basketball. It's just too early to say, hey, this will, with how much, con, uh, how much, roster construction will be different in terms of who leaves, who comes in. Like, it's really hard for me to, to predict it. I'll say this, though, if and I still think if the core next year, if you go into next season that Davion Mintz is going to be there that Keon Brooks will be there, the Oregon Oster Sheboy will be there, and you, and you probably – I mean, Jacob Thompson going to be there. Is that an all-star cast? I would say no, but it's still four guys that I think almost every coach in America would be happy to have as a starting point. Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, it, it's an, it's a good starting point.
1: And, and I mean, and Toppin's probably a bench guy. I'm just saying like, but he's got high potential. Like he, he helps your team. Um, but when I just said all that there, I mean, next year's team, I think uh, on the ceiling will determine, will be determined by the guard play. What guys come in, can he get another high school guy? Can he get a Trevor kills or is it all going to be dependent on getting transfers to come in? Like I, I do think there's going to be, I'll tell you this much, I won't be predicting the Final Four next year like I did this year. However, there are some things that have happened this season that make me think truly with one or two guys that are, you know, a little bit better players. Like, I mean, this team has lost 11 games this year where they were ahead in the second half. Yeah. So, I mean, they've been right in there. And, as, you know, it's, it's tough to lose all those games. But they very rarely, I mean, Alabama crushed them. I would say Georgia Tech pretty much crushed them, too. But besides that, like, they've not had a whole lot of games where they just got run off the floor. Like, they have been there. They just simply have not been able to overcome some of the talent deficiencies. And if you can improve on that next year, I think it's reasonable to expect a pretty strong bounce back. But it might not be the national title contending, you know, hopes that everybody has. And I think that will be an adjustment. But I would still say, after what fans have gone through this year, I think a sweet 16 would, would make people feel good. But again, you get into the whole thing too now where uh, to me, the worst case scenario that would happen is if they lose like seven or eight guys on this team.
0: What, and, what wins you games though? What, what wins you those games that where you're leading in the second half or these close games in the four minutes? Like what, what's, what's the one thing that you can kind of, that separates you in those moments? And to me, it's been you had a guy who could go get his own and make a play, and they just they don't have that. And I'm just looking at next year's roster, thinking, and and maybe and that's the thing. Like, there's a lot of teams that get to the Sweet 16 in the second round, of the NCAA tournament, that are good basketball teams that don't have a closer, right? Right. Is that's what I think? You're right. I think that that's what Kentucky could be, unless they get a significant transfer. Or somebody surprises someone and commits, or something happens in recruiting. I just think that, especially Cal, over the course of his career, he's always he's he knows how to coach the game, Derek. But he's always had a guy, most years two guys, that could kind of go get their own. And when things are breaking down, he they go get a basket, or they close the game out. They don't have that on this team. Davion Mintz is the closest thing to it, and I just don't know. I just don't see it next year. Like it's, I don't think it's really. I don't know. I, I'm very concerned. I'm watching closely. I think that this is going to be one of the most important off seasons in Kentucky basketball programs history. When it come, well, according to the, especially to the Calipari era, because yeah, if exactly. they lose eight people, or they lose if if they lose seventy five to eighty percent of this roster. I will officially tell you that it's never going to get back to what it was. And I just don't know if they're going to be able to climb out of this hole that, they, that they've that they kind of gone into right now. Because if they can't retain most of this roster, they're not ever. It's never going to be a program under Cal that gets back to having some experienced players every other, every year.
1: Yeah, I mean, like you think about 2012 or 2013, that year disappointed people, obviously nowhere near as terrible as this year has been, but they were coming off a title, and even if you had turnover on that team, you could point to maybe the best recruiting class in the history of college basketball on paper, six five-star guys, five of the top (laughs) ten coming in next year. You don't have that on this year's team, man. Like They're in a spot where like they need continuity, I think, and the roster balance is so strange because they're going to be so forward heavy next year anyway, but I still think you take that continuity over – risking, you know, some guys leaving just to try to add a few more people. Like, I agree with you. You can't lose. I mean, I think I think a transfer, too, is to be expected. That that, that happens even in normal years. I mean, yeah. uh, but people are already going to be very pissed off. I would say that B.J. Boston's probably going to go to the NBA, and he's st- statistically had one of the worst years a guy's had here who has, you know, been counted on to play a lot.
0: They're going to be even more pissed off when Terrence Clark goes.
1: Yeah, and Terrence Clark, could we not stop? What? Again, though, like with him where he played so little, it's almost like I, I don't know how to view that. Like It is what it is. Like it's going to be annoying, I'm sure, for fans. I don't blame them for, for being annoyed. But in terms of how it would hurt, like, I don't think it really hurts next year's team because he's not played much this year anyway. I mean, I think he'd be a – what's frustrating is like you look at the hole on next year's team and you think – BJ and or Terrence would fill that need and both guys have room to grow before their draft stock you know for their draft stock but they probably won't utilize that and um like to me if they lose Brooks if they lose I I can't even really include Mintz in that because Mintz is he's an old guy anyway and like he might just decide that he doesn't want to be in college anymore sorry about that I just punched my mic on accident uh I mean he might he just might not want to be in school anymore I wouldn't fault the guy for that I mean he came to Kentucky, probably only expect him to be here one year, and then the NCAA passes that rule where he gets another year. Like, I I don't know what his plan was, and that's why it's frustrating in that way. But, like, if they win ten games this year, whatever it might be, and lose eight guys, then, yeah, I would say it's probably broken and there's no getting back. Because I don't think they're going to be able to bring in enough good players to, like, keep it from being pretty bad again next year. But if you get – Five guys, five, six guys back. Maybe you only need one or two guys from the portal to kind of tip it over and get you into, a, at the very least, a second weekend type team. I would say yeah. preseason. I, I could see that. I mean, if you have a lineup next year of Hickman, grad transfer, Brooks, Colin Sheebly, Toppin, Mintz, those guys are there. Like, I, I think that's enough to be excited about preseason. But even losing one or two more of those guys I just named and you're kind of looking at, like what like, what is going on here?
0: Yeah, yep. I'm I'm concerned, and I I don't think that anyone should just sit back and say, hey, it's going to be better next year. I think what I would be doing is just holding my breath and watching closely to how this roster shakes out and what do they add. Because what the three the three guys that they have coming, you know, Nolan Hickman, Bryce Hopkins, Damian Collins. You you got to throw Shoeboy in there, I think, just because he hasn't played yet. So you're throwing him in with that recruiting class because you're getting a new body. I don't think nobody needs to sit here and assume that they're done. I think that even if a lot of these guys return, Derek, I think that there's room to add two pieces. Because I think that, one, I think you need to go get a someone who can break someone down and get to the basket. They don't have to be an elite shooter, in my opinion. They don't got to shoot 40% from the three point line. Uh, they don't have to score 26, 27 points a game. You don't got to get a guy like that. But you just have to get somebody who put with these other pieces, their strength is to get to the basket and to maybe go get a bucket when you need one. And I don't know where that, that is. I don't know if that's playing for another Power 5 school right now. But given the transfer portal, I think we'd be crazy to sit here and say that that guy's not out there and that that guy won't be on Kentucky's roster next year. It's Kentucky, and if something comes open, you know John is going to be calling.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I want to wait. I mean, it might be. It's March third today. It might be. i will be April. Know, May, May or June before. Yeah, you never know. I mean, think about the college football portal. I mean, there's still guys going to the portal every single day now.
0: <laughs> well, and who? What coach spring. gets fired? Like, what head coach loses his job this spring? That that would be the thing
1: to follow, in my opinion, because I see the path to getting guys in two ways. You could have a situation like Sheboy, where you recruited a kid hard out of high school went somewhere else, decided he didn't want to be there anymore, and then you can pick him up that way. I don't know of any guards that would be in that situation, honestly. I've not looked close enough. I don't no one really sticks out in my mind. But someone, you know, who is a highly rated kid out of high school who decides they want to go on the Portal. I think that's a path for UK. But I would say it's probably more likely to go the Olivier Sar route where you take advantage of a coach unfortunately losing their job someone decides instead of, a playing under a new coach, they'd rather get a fresh start somewhere else. If they've been a good player, Kentucky I think still offers a stage that few other schools can offer, and I think that's still going to be appealing. But, you know, they need to hit on like a Carly Jones situation where, you know, you run the risk. I mean, there was a risk. I mean, I know Jones was a great scorer at the mid-major level, but you run into a risk that – think about a guy like Bubba Parham at Georgia Tech who lit it up at VMI. And has more or less just been a role player.
0: Yeah,
1: and I, I mean, I think UKs to aim higher than you know the, the above a parham type, but it's still going to be a risk. You don't really know how a guy is going to translate in the SEC playing for Cal. I mean, it's I, I totally understand the hesitancy for next season, but I mean, simply man, something having having two guys come back like Manson Brooks, who averaged double figures this year, I think in the grand scheme of the Cal era would go a long way. To helping them out next year. And, I, and I, I'm of the opinion that you know, Colin, Collins being there makes it a little trickier because I feel like he might try to play Collins and Sheboy together. But just watching Sheboy's highlights from his time at West Virginia, he, he will be someone Cal loves. I think he will bring a mentality to this team. I think he will help a ton. I thought that was a great pickup on the transfer wire.
0: Yeah, So that, I, see, I that see does improvements. change things.
1: I see improvements, but you're right. I mean, especially in college basketball where it seems like in March everybody talks about the guard play. That's, How that, that's, that's my concern. Yeah, and I do see a. There, he's not the works some miracles,
0: I think, in order um, to. I'm not. Just, I'm not just throwing this out there, but if you had if you had Ashton Hagen's with this group that we're talking about, and I know Ashton had his there were there was a ton of criticism for Ashton. He, he didn't shoot the ball well. Uh, he would make some dumb decisions at times, but he was a really good defender. And the one thing that he could do is he'd blow by somebody. If you could add that with the pieces that we expect them to have back, I think it would significantly, I think it would move move them into that second week in NCAA tournament potential. And then you never know when you get to that point. I, I just think that that's what's missing. Uh, you could go down the list, and I'm not, I'm not even naming like the elite guards, like the Darren Fox, John Walls. You're not, that's, that guy's not out there right now, Derek. It's not out there from the high school route, and you're not finding that via transfer because if they're coming there, then – you know, we're talking about guys that went to the NBA after one season. But a guy like an, an Ashton Haggins is just what I think this team, somebody of that skill set I think is what they're missing.
1: Yeah. I agree with that. I mean, I mentioned this to a guy last night I was talking to, Adam Lockett, who if you guys listen to the 11 personnel we were texting last night. In hindsight, I mean, it's easy to say now, but I was just – I was throwing out this name just as a theory as to – if you would be excited about it. And I, I mentioned Andrew Nimhardt as a guy last year, a former Foster guy who whose Florida time wasn't great, but he transfers and gets to go to Gonzaga. Like I'm wondering, like, in a scenario this year, a player similar to Nimhard going on the portal, how on board would you be with that? Someone who did not light it up at their previous school but had a high rank, had had major experience. I think he was their starting point guard for two years.
0: I think you got to take something like that. If it presents itself, I don't think that you can just, I feel like they're at a point here where I don't know out of all the names that goes into the portal, how many of them are actually options that you look at that could really come in and do something. And I I think that Cal would look at a situation like that and say, look, maybe, maybe it just didn't work out at a place like that. Maybe it works out better here. Um, that's, yeah, I mean, the thing, that's the thing. That's the thing to pay attention to. I know one thing: when these conference tournaments fire up over the next week, some of them are already going, I'm going to be sitting down and I'm going to be watching a lot of basketball because I want to watch guys and I want to see: is there someone out there that we're overlooking that we're not talking about that you could possibly look and say, "Hey, grad transfer" or "just transfer," like that? That's what I want to look at over the next couple of weeks. Is there a guy that gets into the NCAA tournament for someone a mid major or something that just goes off and takes the team to the Sweet 16 or something and scores 24-25 a game. Like I think that'll be – if Kentucky doesn't have a magical run in Nashville, I think Kentucky fans should turn their attention to the NCAA tournament and just look at backcourts and yeah. just see. Because I think that might be the thing that kind of gets people through it. And then you start looking at April and you see, okay, does somebody go in the portal? Does the coach get fired? Which a, a coach that gets somebody in the NCAA tournament's not going to get fired. But – you, you just don't know with the transfer rule now in play. Does one of these guys put on a show in the NCAA tournament? That's a sophomore, junior, freshman, something like that, and then just decide hey, look, I can go play somewhere bigger. And did they get that moment to where they get that national exposure? I think that's the thing to watch over the next four to five weeks.
1: Yeah, and I think they've probably started that process already of identifying potential guys.
0: Absolutely, drives. yeah, and they have no doubt.
1: But that was the thing we knew. Looked at that. I think after the Tennessee game at home. I just went looking through leading scores, just trying to find some guys. And it, you, I mean, you never know who's going to go into the portal, and you never know.
0: Nobody knew Davion Mintz's name. This time Nobody knew year. Mintz. I mean, Sar
1: was, was a name, but in hindsight, the way he played in Cal style, it probably should have been known that it might not be a great fit. Yeah. But, again, you needed a center. He
0: was the best, the best one available,
1: available. to take him because he couldn't get a, a, high schooler one, a high schooler that was better. So with the guarantee, too, I mean, something that they didn't really have last year, maybe that was thought that might happen last year, was the one-time yeah. transfer thing. That is expected to pass. You might get more guys now, but I, I don't want it, uh, to it, – They'll find the right fit. I guess is what I'll say is they will find a way to get someone who at the very least will intrigue people. I mean, really? it's going to happen. There's going to be somebody out there who is who will take advantage of an opportunity to play and, in and,
0: and possibly more than one. Like I, they, I
1: think it's going to have to be. I mean, if you're not going to get another high schooler, it has to be. And I, like, I would, at this point, Podzimski might turn out to be an All-American. I don't know. I, I would still take another transfer over him. I don't think he's a kid who comes in and helps you next
0: year. No, I, I think you need to add somebody that can, can get their own and set the table for someone else. You you hope Nolan Hickman is a guy that can, you know, make offense easy, and then you could slide Davion Mintz off the ball. Uh, if they could get to a point, Derek, where Davion Mintz is coming off the bench and not because just Cal chooses it to be that way, but because they get someone that is better, then I think this backcourt gets better. Like if you if you could force Davion Mintz into a role that I think he came to Kentucky thinking he was going to have, and I think the role that Calipari envisioned for him, uh, I think that could be big if you could get a situation like that. Do you go get a guy that's an elite transfer or something along those lines? But uh, yeah, I'm gonna be. I don't.
1: I don't know if they're gonna find someone better than him, man. I don't either. Honestly, I don't know if there's gonna be. I mean, maybe there will be some just stud who goes into the portal and uh, wants to come to UK. But I think for what Mince has given them this season, I mean, man, he's been good. I think I'd be. He's not. You'd like to see him shoot the ball a little bit better than what he has this year. I mean, he's very streaky. Uh, I think he went like three for 10 last night. Um, but he, he's – I would be okay with him being the two next year. I would be too. They do need someone else on the wing. Like, they got a – I don't – I wouldn't be thrilled if – I mean, think about it this way, man. Like, they might already have a potential five next year. I mean, you might have Hickman. I could see it being Hickman, Mintz, Brooks, Collins, and Sheboy. I don't know if that's could. the best lineup you could throw out there, well, but I think and, that's a.
0: In Hopkins has been having some nice games. And yeah, stuff he has. In high school. I like don't know how sport. to view
1: him honestly. I don't know enough about him. So, I don't either. I don't he's almost a five-star in the composite. He's very good. He's two spots away.
0: And that's that's something to watch. You know, is that one of those kids like a Shea Alexander who just comes out of nowhere and turns into an elite talent? I mean, is it a Tyler Hero situation where? You know, these kids end up being better than their ranking. Uh, you don't know. Like that's the thing, but uh and it's
1: worth pointing out that they are highly ranked guys just for UK standards or used to.
0: Yeah. I mean you got two McDonalds like, All Americans, even though that game's not being played and stuff, but you got two McDonalds All Americans, so it's not like you're not getting those those players, but it's not the freshman changing program player, you know, like a freshman that comes in it's a program changer or Know the the guy that the NBA is talking about right out of the gate, but we also saw what happens when you have those guys. Kentucky had two of them this year, and look where they are. I mean, Terrence Clark and BJ Boston were talked about going into the season as first round lottery picks.
1: I think Hickman's gonna be good. I I think he's gonna be their point guard next year. I mean, it it would probably be something that
0: they identified him early. Yeah, and and came out of nowhere. It tells us that they really wanted him. And they liked what they had what they had watched and what they'd seen from him. That that alone tells me that I think that he will fit what they want.
1: Yeah, and, and Hickman too, I think before he went to work for the agency or whatever he does now, Evan Daniels was telling some people that he thought he might end up being the best point guard in this class. Yeah. So, I mean, that's pretty high praise from Evan. Um uh I, I think <laughs> I don't know. To me, with how many guys they're going to have, I think Brooks probably will be the three next year. I don't know if that's best for the team or best for him. But if he comes back, I'm guessing that is his role. That's kind of the thing with Hopkins where, I mean, it's a bit of a logjam there because Toppin's earned a right to play next year. So you can say in terms of, you know, if you view Hopkins as a three or a four, which I guess most people do, well, well Toppin and, and Brooks are basically the, that as well. Guys who I don't love Toppin at the three, but Cal has put him there. And um, he's used Brooks together a lot that way, and then of course with the five spot, you know you got Collins and yeah Collins and Sheboy, and I'm not even mentioning Lance Ware, who you know you is know. not really a true five, but could be a physical guy if you need him to be.
0: And Lance has got some experience this season. I mean, he's it's not as some, much um, as what we thought.
1: He's totally fallen. Lance is going to be interesting to me because if he sticks it out through next season, he's I think he'll have a pretty clear path to playing time as a junior. But I'll be honest with you, man. Like, where is going to be a freshman
0: again, right? Yeah. So that's the other thing.
1: Yeah. So I I don't know. Like, I think Lance is the one who. I mean, he's totally fallen out of the rotation. I think he played a minute or two at Vanderbilt, right? He got in just a little bit. And I think you got to ask. I mean, I don't. I'm all for kids coming back. I mean, I think it's what UK needs. But I can also understand in his scenario where he's like. I've kind of, at this point in the season, I'm kind of struggling just to find minutes on a on a pretty bad Kentucky team. Next year, when there's still probably four guys in front of me, like, can I can I find a way to break through on that? Or, you know, because you think about after next year, I could see Boy wanting to leave for the NBA. I think Collins is going to be a one-and-done. I couldn't really see Keon back for a fourth year. So then, you know, you look at it and you say, hey, I mean, there's, there's playing time now, but it might be a hard thing to sit on the bench for a whole season, especially... When he's a former pretty highly rated recruit, there are probably other schools in the ear, you know, people in you know, his parents' ear or people talking to an old high school coach or something saying, hey, if you come here, I mean, we got 25, 30 minutes for your next season. I think that's what Kentucky's run into some problems with over the last few years. I could see Lance being in that situation as well. Um, yeah. I honestly, I think he might face a tougher decision. than I might be in the minority. I don't know what the consensus is at this point, but like, I, I think Allen's going to come back next year. I I think he wants to be at UK. At this point, there's still not a, like he doesn't have just absolute freaks in front of him where it's going to be hard to get on the floor. I mean, I see with some improvement. Like I think he, I think he could play next. Like I think if you're going to move Askew off the ball, who's to say that he can't outperform Askew next year and and take his minutes. You know what I mean? Like I don't think it's just so obvious that he needs to go somewhere else, that he's not going to play here. I mean, I think for at least one more year, he should come back. And then, hey, if you come back next year, it doesn't work out for you. You know, you were here three years. I think that's long enough to know whether it's going to be good for you or not. And then if he does want to leave, like he said with the extra year, he could stuff three years somewhere else. That's why I don't think he should be in a hurry to, no. to do anything else. I think he should come back, work hard this off season. I don't think Cal hates him. I think he certainly has work to do. To, to get in the good graces of Cal and be someone that he really trusts. But I still see a pretty good a pretty good future for Dante, even though it didn't really happen for him this year outside of a few spurts here and there. I think it's pretty important that he comes back for next season and, and continues to develop. And I mean, he's a guy you got to keep, right? I mean, he's a Kentucky kid. Everybody yeah. talks about keeping these Kentucky guys, adding Kentucky guys. Well, I will say this. I think fans who and maybe they're in the minority, people who have gotten on here on Twitter and been like, oh, Allen should leave. He doesn't. He deserves better. He doesn't need to be here. Well, that's not really a great thing to to say, in my opinion, if you're a fan of the program, because um, Dante is not a can't miss, surefire guy. Get that, but like he could develop into a nice player. Just because he's not playing immediately this year doesn't mean that a year or two from now he he won't have a big impact. Because I think he will. I mean, I think you look two years from now, he could have a huge impact on the program. And so I hope for his sake that he sticks it out uses this offseason and really improves because I, I still think he's got really good days ahead of him. And I think UK staff use it that way as well. I think with enough time, he'll make an impact at this program.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%, 100, 100%. Can't even speak now. But uh we just want to get on here and recap last night and give another, I guess, uh outlook on the Kentucky basketball program. It seems like when we do these episodes, Derek, we always have a lot to say and it, it changes, but then it almost doesn't change because it's all been the same uh, since January. We're, we're, we've kind of you know started talking about next year. We've been talking about next year for two or three months now. But we'll uh, continue to get you guys through this. Uh, we appreciate all of our listeners who continue to listen to Kentucky Daily. I literally put up a podcast episode yesterday afternoon, like 1 o'clock. And I texted Eric last night, and I said I didn't even tweet out the link, and we already had, like, hundreds of downloads on it. So we, we appreciate you all. We also appreciate the Butcher's Pub, two locations, one in Pondville, one in Williamsburg, and then a third one coming later this month to London, Kentucky. So you can visit the ButchersPub.com, or you can check out all three of those Facebook pages. Look up the Butcher's Pub Pondville, Williamsburg, or London, and you can access all those pages. You can look at the menu, hours of operation, everything. Uh, visit thebutcherspub.com. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you tomorrow on Kentucky Daily.